0: Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about hospice care, which is a, an interesting subject that's gotten a lot of attention lately. We've got a great guest, and you will recognize him as soon as I introduce him in a moment. We have great, great crew that I always like to thank, and that includes uh, Sheridan Nygaard, who's recording for us today, and she also does our, so our great marketing and research for shows we have maddie levine wolf and also sheridan works with her and Deandra howard she works with them and aaron collins they all do great research in the background it gives the research by the way for everybody gives clarence and i an idea of what we should be talking about on all these shows so thank you to all of you matthew campbell is our production guru who puts together all the shows gets them out to you the listening audience and then of course there's there's Clarence Jones who's um, my trusted colleague and co-host for the show we have a good time doing these shows and enjoy getting them out to you all of you out there so thank you to all of you in addition human partnership is our sponsor for all the health chatter shows they are a great community health organization. We, um, we highly recommend that you check them out. Um, they have they do a lot of creative things out there. And you can check them out at humanpartnership.org, as well as our website, where we put all our research notes, as well as transcripts for the shows at healthchatterpodcast.com so thank you to everybody. So let's move on, hospice today. We have Dr. Barry Baines with us, who's been with us on a couple of previous shows on Health Chatter, and he talked about, um, and by the way, I recommend you listen to these shows on ethical wills and legacy letters and, and serious illnesses and how to talk to your physician about serious illness. Uh, Barry has is, is recently retired. He's joined the crew, and uh, he's, he's a uh, family physician and hospice palliative medicine specialist um, in his practice, does education at the University of Wisconsin at Madison and Georgetown University, and has co-authored. A few books and publications, he has uh, 25 years of experience as a hospice medical director and is board certified in family medicine. His book, Ethical Wills, Putting Your Values on Paper, is now in its second edition. And you can check that out. And we recommend you do that. Ethical Wills, Putting Your Values on Paper.
1: Barry, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, it's great to be back. As yeah it's really
0: yeah it's nice you're you're a great guest and we appreciate all your your great insights on a variety of topics actually so let's get this going a little bit i know that you know we put together some some of the research but also um you 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 wrote me and said you know i'd like to describe the differences between curative care remissive care palliative care of which hospice kind of falls in line with all of it. So maybe you can start us all out by talking about that.
1: Oh, that sounds good. So, you know, when people think about hospice care, um, to give it that context is that typically, when we have illnesses and different diseases, there are different treatments for it. And as you uh, pointed out from my, from my notes, there's three types of care, uh, curative care. It's sort of you know self-explanatory, but that's care that you get to cure the disease. And so to give an example, let's say you have a strep throat. Okay, and you go to see a doctor or nurse practitioner, you know, whatever, and oh, yes, you have a strep throat, and you're given an antibiotic, and you're cured of your strep throat, that is curative, that is curative care. Remissive care is kind of a, a big word. And what does that actually mean? Basically, it's care that's designed to slow down the progress of a disease. In other words, it's a, people have diseases that can't be cured, but they can be well managed. So one example is uh, diabetes. Okay, mm-hmm. Once you have diabetes with with rare exceptions. I know there are things like pancreas transplants and stuff like that, more esoteric. But in general, if you have diabetes, uh, you receive remissive care, which basically helps to control the disease and slow down its progress. So in the diabetes case, it might be different medications that you take or insulin. People are familiar with hearing that insulin could be something like that. And so it's it's to slow things down. And in fact, a lot of uh, cancer care okay, is focused on remissive care to really yeah. control the progress of the disease, uh, hopefully so that people are able to, you know, have a quality of life but and be around for a while uh, as, they, as they move ahead. Um, then the third type of care is called palliative care. And people may be familiar with that as care that focuses on comfort and treating symptoms. It's a kind of care that doesn't cure anybody of a disease. It doesn't slow down the progress, but the focus is on comfort so that people are comfortable as their disease progresses. Within that umbrella, if you think of palliative care as a little umbrella, under palliative care is hospice care. And that's, you know, that's exactly where it fits in. And hospice care is a type of palliative care for those people who have a prognosis or life expectancy of six months or less. And we'll get into this more. It's not an exact... Kind of thing where you have to, you know, circle a date on your calendar, and well, gee, if I, you know, if it's the wrong date, I can't get it, you know, get into hospice, whatever, um, if that's what's what's uh, chosen. So we'll talk about that in detail. We'll let that uh, spill out and spin out a little bit as we go ahead. But those are the different types of care, and quite honestly, a lot of people are not clear on the types of care that they're getting. Especially yeah. when it comes to cancer care, and uh, part of that uh, is that you know we want to be hopeful, we want to be optimistic, and we hear things we hear things differently. And I know um, you know there have been a number of studies where uh, people who had very advanced. Uh, illnesses, very advanced cancers, colon cancer and lung cancer, that they were receiving treatment that was clearly remissive. They weren't going to be cured of their disease. And they thought that the treatments that they were getting, 70 and 80 percent, thought that the care they were getting was going to be curing them of their cancer. And it wasn't. So again, you you know, at the bottom line is always communication is very important. And so that people understand and just to bring in a piece from the uh, serious illness and talking with your doctor, that communication becomes very important. Yeah. The other piece as well is what are people's goals of the care that they, that they receive? And that's, again, is another conversation. Um, and we did cover a, a bit of that last time. So that lays out the four different you know, well, really, three different uh, categories of of care that people receive, with the subset under palliative care being hospice care, which is what we're going to focus on today. Yeah, Clarence. Yeah, very. Thank you for that. I mean, that was so informative. In fact, as
2: I, as I was sitting here listening, I said, we got to put that on our website. I mean, we got to actually write that out so that people know uh, that was very, very informative for me. But I, I think the thing that I want to say, I want to start off by by just saying this. When somebody tells me hospice, I automatically think like it's over, you know, and, uh, it, it, you know, you know, you said there's like six months ex- life expectancy and things like that. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, uh, right. addressing that kind of emotional. I mean, when you hear that word, it's like, oh, man, this is this is it. You know what I mean? So it it, mm-hmm. it it really throws some people off, yep. you know, in terms mm-hmm. of their really understanding what exactly what's going on. Right.
0: You okay. know, you know it's interesting to bring that up Clarence because it's kind of like there are certain words in 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 the medical health arena that kind of make people shudder. Okay? It's like if you hear the word cancer, it's like, "Oh my god, I've got the big C." Okay? Or hospice all of a sudden, okay, that's it, They're done, right? So, and and it creates kind of an emotional response. But anyway, go ahead barrett
1: okay okay and i'm going to do a little uh, background painting as well because even the term hospice has four different meanings wow okay? okay so i think we you know we're going to focus on hospice care which is a philosophy of care that's yeah. the type of palliative care we already you know covered that um, but hospice also has the meaning it's a benefit that medicare provides it's a Medicare hospice benefit, and in fact, not only is that a medical insurance benefit, it's also present in a lot of public health insurance programs and many, many private insurance programs. You know, whether it be, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, what you know, yeah. whatever. Um, almost all of those types of programs, the majority try and mirror what's considered the gold standard of of a hospice benefit from what Medicare does Uh so even people who are not of medicare age if they have a a terminal illness or a life-limiting illness most of the time they would be eligible to go into a hospice setting or not hospice setting well let's stop and repeat that most of the time they'd be eligible to receive hospice care even if they're not of medicare age Mm -hmm. um the other definition when we you talk about hospice is like a hospice program okay so most uh people who receive hospice care it's usually through a hospice program that's you know related to home health it's all of the care systems certainly within minnesota have hospice programs within their uh you know their services that they that they provide Okay. And then the last thing is that hospice, sometimes people think of hospice as a place that you go to. Yeah. And in fact, there are some freestanding hospice homes that people can go into. These tend to be uh, private pay. but some people might be familiar uh, within our community. We have uh, the Weedham Residential Hospice, J.A. Weedham. We have the Pillars Hospice Home out in Oakdale. We have N.C. Little in Edina. And then there's also Our Lady of Peace, uh, which is uh, also in St. Paul, that offers a place for people to actually go and spend their, and spend their last days. So, so, Barry,
0: let me ask you, know. you are there also... Um... Would this, the the kind of facilities, I guess, for hospice care um, that are in, and you're relating to what's going on in Minnesota, are there analogous um, facilities that you know of in other states as well, or does every state kind of have their their own thing going?
1: Yeah, I mean, every state can have their thing going, but those are the, you know, the standard things. The reality is, is probably less than one percent of people actually avail themselves of services within a hospice home as it mm. were number one because they tend to be uh, private pay and yeah. they could be you know uh, expensive um, typically they're reserved for people who are really at the end like days to weeks mm-hmm. generally speaking and the vast majority of care in hospice is given in the person's home, okay? Hmm. Or the place where they're living that they call home. So it'll be either, you know, in their home, their, you know, a house, their apartment, you know, what have you. Uh, Or if they're living in assisted living, or if they're living in a, they needing long-term care in a nursing facility, nursing home, they can, they receive care there. Hospice goes, hospice programs go wherever the people are. And and that's where they deliver the care. Um, And most people would prefer to be in a comfortable place, their their home surrounded by their loved ones. And so that's sort of where the care gets delivered in the vast majority of cases. But when you talk about hospice, sometimes people think, oh, that's a place, right? Right. you You know, well, but hospice care, you receive wherever you are. And in fact, if you start off in your home, and you're receiving hospice, and then you need a higher level of care, so you go into an extended care facility or long-term care facility. Hospice follows you wherever you go.
0: Wow. Okay, right? that's really good to know. So yeah. let me let me ask you this, or um, talk about hospice professionals. So are who are they? Are they physicians? Are they nurses? Are they just? Oh. Yeah home care providers who are they yes, and so, uh, do you have to be trained a particular way et etc no.
1: so uh there actually uh are a group of people hospice is very much um uh, i when i was very involved with that it, it's really a, a a team type of care hmm. i always say it's a team hospice is a team sport but that's <laughs> Or the yeah. light the lighter uh, kind of thinking that uh, only a hospice <laughs> medical director might might say. But it's very important because within that uh, Medicare hospice benefit when people receive hospice, uh, that benefit requires that a hospice provide nursing care, skilled nurse, a skilled nurse, mm-hmm. um, social work, a chaplain to deal with mm-hmm. spiritual mm-hmm. issues. Um, Usually, they have home health aides to provide uh, some help at home with bathing, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, A medical director that sort of oversees things. Uh, Then, in addition, they also have to have volunteers. 5% of the hours of care that hospice provides under Medicare have to be, you know, involving volunteers.
0: Like what? What would be a a a volunteer to just with the just,
1: person right exactly so uh, let's say um let's say i was in hospice okay mm-hmm. as a as a patient and uh and i have and i elect to, to have volu- i mean a person could refuse that but yeah. hospice volunteers are trained actually i usually in my hospice medical director days i usually am part of their orientation um and then they volunteer they work with you know with patients they don't deliver medical care because they're just yeah. like I would say normal people, you know, they're yeah, just normal yeah. people. Um, and so let's say that I'm, I'm home and uh, my wife is sort of taking, you know, care of me. Uh, but, you know, she needs to go out and go shopping as an okay. example. So when a volunteer comes to stay for an hour or so, that would give, you know, my spouse some respite to go out, do some shopping, maybe go for a coffee with, you know, with a friend outside. So they Good. kind of, you know, do that. They could, you know, we have volunteers that will uh, play music, would read, you know, read to them. Hospice, a number of hospices, these aren't required, but additional services, music therapy, pet therapy. So imagine that they, I don't know if Murphy or Riker would meet the criteria <laughs> uh, for that, but, but a lot of people, you know, they really connect with animals. Yeah. And yeah. there's a, a lot of hospice programs have, you know, what's called pet therapy. You know, yeah. for hospice, you oftentimes the music therapist uh, will also you know, sort of get a twofer and, and cover, you know, not only the the music that they bring. And that's very important because, you know, really it's soothing for the soul. You know, you have music that you like, you know, have a a dog who hops up on your bed and just sits there and you could, you know, pet them. And that make, that does make you feel, feel better. better. So the array of services that you can get from hospice. There, there are quite a you know quite. So a where do now.
0: these? Just for instance, where do hospice volunteers get trained?
1: Uh, I mean, the, I, I kind of perceive
0: school. it as a neighbor. Could yeah. be a neighbor that comes in and you know just spends time right, with you, right. but so ty- are so necessarily trained.
1: Yeah, typically, what happens? The vast majority of people who become hospice volunteers, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, are people who had a loved one who was in hospice. Mm. and the care that they receive hospice requires that if you did have a loved one in hospice you had to wait a year before you could apply to be mm. a hospice volunteer right? interesting okay mm. but the vast Claire majority is... now, yeah are,
2: yeah have that so, experience yeah no i really i would i'm really, really learning a lot again uh, from the work that you're doing but how long does hospice care last Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you you mentioned that you know Medicare, Medicaid. I mean, the, is there is there a certain period where people are in that in that category called hospice care?
1: Yeah. So the way the benefit works again, it's designed for people who have a life expectancy of six months or less. The reality is, we don't, you know, we really don't have a crystal ball on that. OK, and it's not like, oh, your six months is up, so you can't be in hospice anymore. The way it's set up is for under Medicare, there's uh, benefit periods that they call. So the first benefit period is three months. So the person gets enrolled in hospice and three months you know goes by. And then if they still at that time, after three months, if everyone agrees that given the likely course of their disease, their prognosis is six months or less, they can be recertified. And then there's a second benefit period of three months. Okay, so that gets you the six months. Here's where the math gets just a little bit, changes a little bit. At the end of six months, once again, the patient comes up for recertification. Okay. They've been in hospice for six months. Has their disease been progressing while they've been in hospice? Have they been deteriorating or, you know, sort of, uh, you know, going, going downhill basically. Um, But yeah, they've left, you know, they've been alive for six months, but Reasonably, you wouldn't ex- you would expect that their prognosis is still six months or less, and so they could be recertified. Then the benefit periods shorten up to two months at a time, and those require the medical director making a visit to the patients wherever they are and and agree, because the medical director is the one who has the magic of signing the paper that says I recertify, you know. John Doe as being appropriate for hospice for another two months, and then and so lit- literally every two months um, a patient can come up with recertification. And all of us have heard stories, certainly in in you know in medicine, of people who have uh, like cancer, which is a a high frequency. Uh, Reason why people are in hospice. Although these days we also see a lot of Alzheimer's disease, yeah, um, yeah, in the end stages, end stage Parkinson disease, some of the neurologic diseases like ALS, what people know as Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, heart failure is another uh, big reason why people go into hospice, uh, as. Uh, their their heart function declines and different lung diseases, COPD, yeah. uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, those kind of things, in addition to um, you know, to different to different cancers. So, so let me
0: ask you yeah. some you know, um you you mentioned the link between hospice care and Medicare. Okay, where Medicare will cover mm-hmm. hospice care. All right. Is it typical for health plans or insurance companies to cover hospice or not? And if not, what do people do or what can they do if uh, if a person that they know is, is coming to the end of their life? What do they do if hospice isn't an, an mm-hmm. option for them through insurance?
1: Yeah. Well, if if that that's a a very difficult question, so I'm going to put that, yeah, no, I <laughs> that out there because the the vast majority of people uh, do have access to uh, to hospice care. Okay. In addition, I can tell you that certainly within the Twin Cities there are many hospices that will take patients and enroll patients in their hospice. If they don't have insurance. Okay. Okay. And and so they provide the care. It, the, the focus, again, for hospice, the, you know, compassion level is very, very high. And to think that someone who has a very short life expectancy is effectively dying and having uh, symptoms that are creating a lot of, uh, you know, pain, oftentimes not only physical, but... You know, psychological, spiritual, um, and those services. I mean, you know, part of humanity uh, yeah, is to be yeah. compassionate and to try and and uh, accompany people on this last journey that they take. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, very often, uh, in those cases, people will, um, you know, find a way to deliver. Uh, you know, hospice care. But in in general, like I say, the vast majority of people have access to it. That being said, one of the biggest issues we see, right, we talked about um, the other side, oh, well, six months, and I told you what happens after six months. And the, the big reality is that for this benefit that's designed for six months, the median length of stay in hospice. Mm -hmm. So that's 50% of people who are enrolled in hospice die in two weeks or less. Wow. Okay. 50%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what winds up happening is that people are referred to hospice very late in the course of their illness. Why does that happen? We alluded to some of that. It's about, um, some miscommunication about the kind of care or treatments they were receiving, right? If someone thinks, oh, well, I'm gonna get cured, I'm not gonna go into hospice, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, typically when you go into hospice, uh, the focus is just for symptomatic kind of medications and treatments and things that uh, oftentimes, uh, if it's not comfort focused, if it's designed to slow the disease down, usually that's not something that's covered.
2: So Barry, let me let me yeah. ask this question. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, the individual that's getting the hospice care. What about the families or the caregivers around them? Yeah. I mean, what kind of information is being provided for them, or yeah. you know, so they can um,
0: yeah. deal with it?
2: And do it, yeah, can deal with it, and deal with it. I mean, I mean, is there is there a a gold standard? Is there a uh, is there requirements from the organizations that you know that there are certain things that they should be providing to the family? because that's tough for
1: everybody. Yeah, well, this is actually Clarence. That is such a great question because many people think that if you're getting hospice care, that you're going to have hospice care providers in your home twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, and that's not the case at all. In fact, for home hospice to to deliver hospice in your in your home, you need to have the family support that's going to provide the majority of the care, basically. Okay, in terms of making sure that, in other words, you get skilled nursing visits, um, usually once a week or once every two weeks, more frequently, certainly as the disease is progressing more, you get social work visits every month or so, you'll get uh, chaplaincy visits uh, every week or two, you know, just just depending. But most of what's done is educating the family for how to care for this person that is, you know, that is dying. And uh, again, home health aides will come in a couple times a week to help like with bathing and things like that. But it's the family that's providing the majority of the care, um, again, under the guidance of the hospice team. And the hospice team, they're always available if issues come up for managing those kind of things. Um, And that's pretty much how the care is delivered. It's not like a nurse from hospice who's you know, sort of, you know, in your house, eight or 10 hours a day, it's called intermittent nursing care, you get a, a couple of visits, always available by phone. And the focus is always, especially, let's say, if there's pain issues, then there will be more intense visits to make sure that the pain could be well managed to the extent that the person wants there you know, their pain controlled or other symptoms, breathlessness, let's say if they're having, you know, heart failure or lung problems. And so hospice will provide oxygen. They provide all the medications they pay, you know, so you don't have to pay for any of the hospice medications. That's all included. Um, Equipment, if you need a hospital bed, for example, to, because people, you know, can't get up, you know, easily anymore. So a lot of the, what's called durable medical equipment, that's the the term sure. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it provides all of those uh, ancillary uh, services, plus uh, in the medical services. And in the hospices that I work with, the uh, primary doctor for that patient, um, the programs I've worked with, we've always kept uh, those doctors as being still the primary care. That's another reason why people don't want to go into hospice because they're worried that they're going to lose their doctor and oftentimes uh you know who knows the pay? you know it's the doctor who's been taking care of the patient for years and years and years they know them and hopefully yeah, the family as well so that trust piece is there and that is uh, so very you know so very important uh so again I that's, a, you know, can a couple, see it's a team there really yeah. is a team so, sport here
0: you know it's it's interesting for if you ever what I have noticed, at least, is whenever you read um, an obituary after mm-hmm. somebody has has passed, oftentimes I will read um, a really special thank you goes to the hospice team that cared for for the individual. So people really mm-hmm. connect. With with or at least it seems as though they connect with the hospice providers of care. Mm-hmm. So here's here's another thing, kind of sidebar, um, helper assistance. So you you mentioned you know like a spiritual leader. We had one of our shows was on uh, spirituality and, and and health, and um, so help me, I assume. You know, besides pets, maybe helping out, but maybe you know, a pastor or a, some clergy or a rabbi um, connects somehow or other with hospice care providers. Is that
1: well? They're actually hired by hospice. There are chaplains that are required.
0: Chaplains themselves, okay. okay
1: to to be and you know, i mean chaplains or clergy however you want to yeah right term yeah. that they are part of the uh of the integral hospice team you can't be a medicare certified hospice if you don't have chaplaincy services as part of your hospice program
0: and do they are they trained as well or yes. are they just who they are as rabbis no, or pastors most or of most
1: of the most of the uh, chaplaincy that are in hospice have special training that focuses on die, you know dying on people who yeah. are dying and dealing yeah. With, yeah. with their you know with their issues um, and you know even though they may be from a particular denomination it it's they take people where they're at mm. and you know we certainly try if someone um let's say real, you know, let's say his Muslim needs an imam, um, the chaplains, you know, they have their network. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> you know, In the community. Yeah. So, or if it's a, a, a Jewish patient who wants a rabbi, um, mm-hmm. you know, or a Catholic person wants right. a priest or a Protestant yeah. wants a man, you know, they yeah. reach out to help. The other reality, again, is that people are connected to their church, okay, in a you know, generic sense, their right. house of worship, they're, right. they're connected yeah. to that, and and hospice again reaches out if you've been uh, in a religious um, you know setting with you know whether it be minister you know priest rabbi imam yeah um, you know you sort of want to continue with that and hospice let you know makes the connections to let that happen because oftentimes. Those people again—they know the patients, they know the families, and uh, so we try and keep everybody in the loop as much as either the patients and their families and those providers uh, would want to to be doing that. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get yeah. Clarence. So
0: yeah.
2: So so Mary, you you I think you mentioned that the mediums stay in in uh, hospitals like two weeks.
0: Yeah, the
1: median—that's so oh, fifty median. percent or less die right. in in two weeks or less. Yeah. Wow. wow. My
2: question to you is this: and you talked about the fact that sometimes people come in at the later stages of their disease. Do you think people do not utilize hospice because of the cost?
1: No, I mean, because I was... for I don't think so. Because the majority of people, uh, there is no cost to them to enroll in hospice. But well, do they know that?
2: I mean, I mean, that's, that's the question. Do, do they know that? I mean, because a lot of times because people are, are unaware, mm-hmm. that's why I think this program is going to be so helpful is yeah. that because they're unaware of exactly what does that mean. And there's you, a lot of times there's not that, that information or access to people that can, that can mm-hmm. accurately describe,
1: yeah. you know,
2: what's going on because people will, you know, say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's over. I mean, so people have their own emotional, um, mm-hmm. Conversation about yeah. this, so I'm just asking, you know, yeah. two weeks. I mean, that's you know, that that sounds like a family has gone through a lot. Uh, yes, the point yes. where they where it, you know, and I'm thinking, like, like, is it is it cost? Is it just an emotional thing? I, I don't know. I'm just asking
1: that question. I just wanted to yeah, enter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think it's it's not cost. Okay. However, you you make a good point. If someone is not aware of that then they may think that there's a a cost, okay? Mm -hmm. And that would keep them away. Um, Generally speaking, hospice programs uh, need to do like uh, evaluations from families after they deliver services. Mm -hmm. And for years, again, I've been, you know, in the business for 25 years. The Mm -hmm. number one thing that families report is I wish... I had gotten my loved one into hospice sooner. Yeah, Why? that's the that's the number one thing. Uh, every doctor and nurse knows about hospice. Every long term care facility they know about hospice. Every hospital, you know, knows about hospice, and they mm-hmm. certainly do talk about it. Okay, mm-hmm. At, you know when people Mm -hmm. are you know Mm -hmm. are in there have you you know thought Mm -hmm. about that um can i push you though barry can i push you a little bit yeah yeah push
2: push me okay yeah okay so families are saying yeah i wish i would have i would have got them in there earlier but do they say why they didn't get them in there earlier because i think that that for me is i wish i would have done that there there has to be some kind of barrier
1: right
2: and and the reason why i'm asking that question is this Mm -hmm. is that you know, I think this is. I I'm I'm more seasoned now, so this is much more of a relevant okay. topic for me as well. Yeah. But I think that there's something that people are not getting. Yeah,
1: and I, and and this this uh, this is something that comes on. I'm speaking now as a physician. Okay, that, that's that's our fault. Okay? okay, and and there have been a number of studies that, to give you the. This will explain why is it two weeks or less for fifty percent. Okay. Yeah. Um, studies have shown that in general, physicians overestimate prognosis by 500 percent. Wow, Wow, okay Wow. So yeah. so if if your prognosis is two months, okay that that realistically you're you're gonna live for 60 days, okay? Yeah. M- most physicians, Will think that you're going to probably live about a year, and since hospice is six months or mm-hmm. less, okay, well, you're not ready for, for a hospice because uh, you know, and part of it, it's not like I say, it's it's on the physicians, but there's a dynamic. It's it's the doctor and the patient to get together for this because people want to live. But but, right? but is it? You know, yeah. So but, it's a hard it's a hard conversation. Yeah. yeah. To, yeah. You know, to yeah. have, yeah. but that's yeah. one of the things. So in fact, one of the things that has been done in, for hospice is to get doctors to think if they have any patients, like if you say, do you have any, anybody that, you know, is going to die in six months or less? You know, mm-hmm. well, if you overestimate by so much, you almost have nobody who, who meets that criteria, but mm-hmm. we changed the, the question. We, we call it the surprise question. Doctor, do you have any patients where you would not be surprised if you opened the paper in the next year and saw their name in the obituary hmm. that they had passed? Wow! Wow! And once you—that's a very different because six months or less. Well, I'm just a doctor, you know. I'm not God. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't so, know so, so, the so. end. But, 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 but generally speaking, do you know what I mean? You say, would you be surprised yeah. if, you know, yeah. if Mr. Mrs. <laughs> you know died in the next year and then you think well boy you know probably not you know she has like pretty bad heart failure um you know and i know i wouldn't be surprised because then and that's that's the patient that it you can be referred to hospice and hospice Mm -hmm. will have that conversation with you you don't Mm -hmm. have to choose to go to enroll in hospice Mm -hmm. but then you know, if you get the referral, at least those conversations mm. could happen mm. more with people who this is what they do all the time and they can lay things you know, out. You know, Gary, well, I wonder if it's yeah, part me, of the. Man, let, me, I, let me, let me, let me, yeah, let me, go ahead. With this. Yeah, let me follow well, up because I
2: love this conversation. This is why this is called health chatter, okay? Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, we're all chattering <laughs> away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're chatting now, okay? Because I think that part of what you said, I mean, the 500% overestimation, it, that's big. I mean, it, it, I mean, is it is it that the doctors are overestimating their their work? I mean, what they can do. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, as a doctor, you want to be able to say like, hey, you know, I would, you know, I had a patient come in and we were able to help them to get to this level. We help, we help them to get healed. That's really, I, I love, I love that you entered this conversation. Mm. But I think that that's something that you know I'm going to ponder about
0: okay you know it's interesting i was gonna i was gonna say kind of the same thing it's kind of my my perception of this 500 percent it's kind of counter to what physicians want themselves they want to be able to Mm -hmm. cure or uh better disease manage But Mm -hmm. as soon as the word, I guess, hospice comes into the conversation, that's counter to what they're trained for, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because they're trying to keep them alive and healthy and happy, as opposed to (laughs) death and dying here, you know.
1: Right. And and to be be clear, this is not. You know, this is not meant to be a, a blame game because right. the, no, I can tell no, you the, exactly. Di- exactly. the dynamic here, you know, it takes it takes two to tango, right? Right, And absolutely. when, you know, for most people, as they go through their illness, their goals change over time, okay? And many people's goals are I want to live as long as I can, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And, as you know, in medicine, we continue to have treatments that may or may not help help that goal and so it's it's one of these things where everybody is hoping for you know for, for the best, best here yeah. and so it's easy um again, this idea of oh six months or less that's a hard thing to you know, to get your, your, your head around. And then you also have patients in their families and you have families that are not, <laughs> have you ever heard of families that are not on the same page on, <laughs> on things? Never. I don't, <laughs> right? I, don't know, okay. I don't know what you're talking so about. So then there's all these, <laughs> these, all these family dynamics, you know, as well um, that, that happens. So it's, it's very, it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the things that Sort of helps is the idea of reframing this. Even though, yes, six months or less, but if we think in terms of a larger time frame, we know that it's going to be less than that, most likely. Okay, because we tend to overestimate prognosis. So if we, and and, you know, and so that to me we, is the key. Yeah. That's sort of the right. the the key.
2: And that was why I wanted you to answer that question.
1: Okay, you know I, I, yeah. I
2: hope I answered it. No, no, to, no you, did,
1: you, did, well. you did, you
2: did, you did. <laughs> Yeah, but but you you answered it in in the sense of this is that it's a struggle for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it is. it's a struggle for everybody. I mean, as you just said, Sam talked about the fact is that you you know he's he's he wants he or she wants uh, the person to live. The family yeah. has dynamics. The patient mm-hmm. has dynamics, and so when you get to this point of talking about hospice and hospice care mm-hmm. or end of life kind of conversations, you have to be you have to be exposed to the variables. Yes. and not have a fixed mindset on this is how it's going to be. And that's why I, that's why I pushed because yeah. I think that I, no I think it's it, I
1: think it's great. And and the other thing to realize that a lot of people probably don't um don't they don't know this. Um when I was just doing my regular family practice stuff, not my you know, my family practice with seeing patients and things like that i you know used to do what i call womb to tomb you know Mm -hmm. okay i had very few patients in the course of a year who died Mm -hmm. Uh, do you know what i mean i had maybe a maybe a handful and so if you just run into that every few months or so Mm -hmm. unlike Treating diabetes or high blood pressure or strep mm-hmm. throat, where you see a lot of that, you you sort of you know the drill, you know what you know you know what to right. do. Uh, with end of life care, it's and it doesn't for again the general uh, primary care physician, an internist, uh, a family physician, as opposed to uh, let's say geriatricians or oncologists, cancer specialists, yeah. you yeah. know even cardiologists who. Tend to see the more difficult heart failure things. Um, if you don't see lots of patients, you don't um, you don't learn the drill for how to have you know how do you have those conversations, which as you can imagine, are very sensitive conversations. They're very yeah. difficult conversations to have. Um, so, so let me let me
0: ask this question. Yeah. So it's. Um, <laughs> I sense that that Barry, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with, with hospice care, you're also dealing with cultural issues.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And, you know, for some people, you know, um, somebody who's dying is, is, oh my God, you know, it's the end of the world. On the other hand, you know, people celebrate, you know, there's some cultures that really mm-hmm. celebrate that. So how does hospice care deal with Cultural
1: issues, or yeah, that that's a, another great another great question. That's why I love being on Health Chatter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> our conversations yeah. are just so they're they're so good. Um, so actually, everybody is aware of cultural competency. Yeah, okay? or at least okay. they they should be. And hospice, the hospice team is very sensitive. Okay, to the cultures that they're working in, which are a diverse set of cultures. Mm -hmm. And you could be part, as we all know, you could be part of a culture, but you still need to know individually, what does that mean to that person? Okay. You can't say everybody, you know, who's part of this culture acts in this way and has these wishes. No, it's not the case. So it's, it's recognizing and asking the question directly. So how do you, you know, what is, You know how do you and your family approach end of life, Mm -hmm. and then when they tell you, then and that that informs the treatment plan moving forward because then then you know. So it's being um, being humble enough to know that it's okay to not know. Culturally
0: sensitive and and be culturally
1: (laughs) sensitive and, and ask, okay. I, I don't know. So, you know, I would, I would ask Clarence, what, what Mm -hmm. has been your experience Mm -hmm. with people in your family who have, Mm -hmm. you know, who have passed, how, how did that go? And how, how do you see this for yourself? And Mm -hmm. so you, you ask, you listen. And that's the other thing is that hospice care in general doesn't have, we don't have our agenda, like our agenda is is sort of what are your goals and mm-hmm. how can we help you to meet your goals? That might not be what I would want to do. Yeah, okay? yeah. That that's but it's not about it's not about me, right? It's about you. So it's about you.
2: Let me let me. interject real quickly here again, okay? I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in a probing <laughs> mode here. I'm in a in, a, in a <laughs> mode here. Okay. The, when you talked about being culturally competent, I mean, you know. Co- I think that question should be asked to everybody because just because a person looks like you does not mean that they think the same way that you do. Exactly. So to, to, think, to think that it's only with those people, you know, really, really throws the thing off. It's not, It we, we're human beings, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so even though we look alike, does not mean that we have the same life experiences, same, you know, in, in, in emotional experiences. So I think that's a great question to ask everybody.
1: I agree a hundred percent. Okay. We are so all that, unique. We are all unique. So uh,
0: Barry, here's, you know, you had mentioned at the front end of the show, um, you know, palliative care, which um, in in my, the way I kind of perceive that is, is overall disease management. Um, but let, let's, you know, for the listening on, let's do this. Somebody's in the hospital, a loved one is in the hospital and um and they're not doing well and it's (laughs) end of life is coming take us a little bit step by step in order to connect everybody to hospice okay so like use me i'm in the hospital and i'm dying okay what would what would healthcare providers do for me and for my family in the hospital to step-by-step to connect me who
1: connects me to hospice for instance? Okay. Well, if you're in, if you're in the hospital, yeah. Okay. um, Probably it would be either your attending physician, your doctor or the nursing staff. Mm -hmm. Okay. They may have had the conversation with you a little bit, like you know, Stan. Um, really, we we just uh, there really is is not uh, anything more that we can do at this point to slow down the way your disease is going. Okay, mm-hmm. and realistically, you have um, a few months, you know, left left to live. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you about hospice. Okay, the, the doctor will say, let me tell you that we have this other you know, kind of care called hospice care um, that focuses on keeping you uh, comfortable and improving the quality of your life as best as can be done in the remaining time you have. Is that something you'd be interested in? You would say, of course, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. I think I've been on this road. I've been back in and out of the hospital, you know, every, every month for the past, you know, five months, whatever, and they say, great, we're going to have, we'll ask a hospice uh, uh, program, you know, person to come in. Oftentimes, hospitals have palliative care teams, okay, in hospital services, who can come in, they're not hospice, right, they're palliative care, but they can come in, they're well trained, they will have those conversations with you. And together, you'd say, you know, I think I'd like to go with with hospice, got it. And, and so they
0: do that with you and your family, right? and your fa- yes, yes. These are oh, uh, these are family conversations.
1: And then while you're still in the hospital, either yeah. either they can get hospice to come in to see you, but hospice really can't enroll you till you're home. Okay, so okay. it might be Stan. We're going to send you home tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. and tomorrow afternoon hospice. There's a hospice program that's going to come out and talk with you. Hopefully they could come in and say hi to you while you're in the hospital and say, Stan, we'll, you know, we'll see you gotcha. tomorrow after you get out and we'll get everything together. Talk about your, you know, your symptoms, making you, you know, comfortable, et cetera. The so it starts with
0: the, with the attending physician. Oftentimes. Usually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah.
1: it. Yeah, but it could also be you know friends, friends and family, people who have had experience with that. The information yeah. can come from anywhere. This is one interesting point. Um, people with with uh, very advanced lung cancer, they just looked at people who just received the regular treatment, okay, of chemotherapy, all that stuff, and people who had all that same treatment. In addition, they also got palliative care, not hospice, but palliative care, which again is designed to focus on symptom control etc people with the same prognosis for cancer if they also receive palliative care yeah they lived a month or two longer interesting than people who just received remissive care interesting interesting okay. so that's Sometimes where the disease we, uh, management comes in uh, well the the symptom management and symptom it's more management. you know it's yeah. more yeah. because then you're You know, your mindset is there, your mental stuff is really, the mind can do really big things for us. And so, so that's just another thing why trying to get people involved early. uh, And that's why you see, you know, people asking for support in the obituary and they talk about how great hospice was and, and my family say, I I wish we had this for, for longer. It's still a gift though. You know, even if it's a short time, Okay there's a lot of things that can get reconciled that can get done to put everybody at peace. And yeah. so even two, weeks love could, even yeah. two weeks could be a gift. You know I, what I mean? I absolutely. I always yeah. say
2: we want, we want more. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. I, I love that. What you just said, because I think that that's, that's the that's the issue that happens so many times with family. There's so many unresolved issues mm-hmm. at the end of life. You know, you know, what didn't I do? What didn't I say? You know, yeah. who did? You know, I always say I, I want to. When I die, I don't want to have to say I wish I would have. Right, right, right. And right. I, exactly. I, I, mean, I think if you got two weeks, if you got, if, you know, if you knew you had two weeks, mm-hmm. you could get a lot of things resolved. So I, I I appreciate this conversation. I know that we're coming to the end of our show, but I really appreciate. I mean cuz you really seriously this has been a great show in fact I'm thinking about who do I send this show to specifically
0: yeah in my, yeah. Life,
2: in my life and I'm hoping I'm hoping that our team will our research team will put together those those three those actually those two sets of of, of terms that you uh that you 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 talked about because I think mm-hmm. that would be very important for people to really really understand uh when doctors are talking to them or when they are presented with these opportunities what what they're really looking at. What I guess what they're really really looking at versus this whole idea about I think no we need to know what that we're on the same page as you talked about. Mm-hmm. So thank mm-hmm. you very for my
1: from my perspective. Oh you're welcome you know, it's and interesting you had great questions too. You know it
0: it's interesting, you know, uh for our listening audience my, my pooch just came in uh and is sitting next to me here. And it's interesting, you know, I, I, I was thinking how it is that we um uh, we humanely deal with end of life for our pets, okay? And how much of a of a major major difference there is between how we as humans deal with that? It's 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 much more complicated and, and harder, mm-hmm. but um, perhaps. Perhaps there's some lessons to be learned from from our our, our pets in, in our lives as well. So, Barry, I, I I truly thank you for your for your insights. This has been a really really great show, and and hopefully our listening audience will will appreciate the insights and the information, and hopefully it'll guide their decision making when they need to going forward. So, for our listening audience i want to say as i always do and end our shows keep health chatting away